The scripture reading is taken from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, for I must came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone in to be the guest of a man of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. For if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. So good to see you this morning. And we are in the last sermon in the series called Deeper. And Deeper is a series designed to help you grow, as the uh, name of the series says, deeper in your walk with the Lord. And so you may, uh, we've talked about those things that I think are obvious to you as spiritual disciplines. We've talked about coming to worship. We've talked about personal time in the Word. We've talked about your prayer life. Uh, we have talked about uh, the discipline of giving, of tithing, just these different things that okay, you say, okay, that occurs to me. I uh, concur. That is a spiritual discipline I need to practice. But uh, we're going to talk about one today that may catch you by surprise, the discipline of sharing the gospel, the discipline of talking to others about the Christ you know and follow. Here we discover a uh, man by the name of Zacchaeus. And when we discover him, Zacchaeus uh, has a lot going against him. This week, perhaps, you have watched the news and you have seen the stories of these search and rescue missions. The one from a couple of weeks ago that is ongoing now into search and recovery is in Nepal. You've watched uh, with horror at the number of, um, of deaths that have occurred there, over 8,000 now. A tremendous, a tremendous undertaking to go in and to recover those bodies. As soon as an earthquake happens, it isn't called search and, re uh, re uh, search and recovery, it's called search and rescue, and it is for a reason. The thought is that there are survivors. And the goal is to go and get the survivors. You have the Nepal incident. You have the Philadelphia train incident. Same idea, search and rescue. And then you have this week the incident with the helicopter. Uh, it has gotten my attention more, perhaps because the guys on this helicopter, eight of them total, six American Marines, two Nepalese soldiers, were providing relief. They were simply trying to help. When the helicopter went down, the search crews went out, and it was a search and rescue. 
But as soon as there is the possibility of life, as soon as that possibility is gone, it becomes search and recover. And when that happens, the family's hopes drop. Up until that point, there is hope that families hold on to that perhaps someone in that wreckage near and dear to their hearts will be alive. Uh, But then it becomes search and recovery. At the very end of this passage, Jesus describes his mission not as search and recovery, but as search and rescue. He says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. I want to speak to two kinds of people in the room this morning. First of all, there are those of you who are believers. You have a friend, you have a family member, you have a neighbor or a co-worker who is lost without Christ. And you've given up. In your mind, they are no longer search and rescue. They are search and recovery. You think that Christ could not possibly save them. They have gone too far. They have done too much. They have drifted away too far from shore. And as I say those words, their name goes through your mind. You know who they are. And then I'm speaking to folks sitting in this room this morning, and you feel that way about yourself. You see yourself as a hopeless cause, as someone who God could not possibly rescue. A man by the name of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. He was a crude man raised by his parents, uh, raised by his mother to be a Christian. But God didn't come through for him in ways that Newton thought he should have. And so he became embittered against God, turned against him, turned to his own ways, and began to do his own thing. He found himself on a ship. Not a big barge, but a sailing vessel in the middle of a horrendous storm. It was March 21, 1747. Newton found himself there. He was awakened because water came into his cabin. And he began to uh, work the pumps with the other folks to get the water out to no avail. And he went up on the, the top of the vessel to see that timbers were broken by this storm. And Newton knew the possibility of death was imminent for him and all of the crew and the passengers aboard this vessel. He says it was at that moment that he began to contemplate Christ and contemplate the reality and the validity of Jesus Christ. Could Jesus be for real? Could he truly be the Son of God? Could he truly be the one who came to save him and save others? And he had spoken against him. He had cried out against him. He had derided this Christ. In his own words, he said, I had concluded my sins were too great to be forgiven. I waited with fear and impatience to receive my doom. He had counted himself out. 
He had said that there was no hope for himself. And there's some of you this morning are here and you've counted yourself out. You don't think there's hope for you. You've gone too far. You've done too much. You've disappointed too many people. There's no way that God wants to save you. And if he wanted to, you don't think he will. So Jesus is traveling north to south from Galilee to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knows what he's doing. He's just spoken about it. And as he is traveling north to south, he comes through Jericho. Jericho is a busy trade town. East-west trade route runs through Jericho. Lots of people, lots of traffic flowing through the city. As he goes through this east-west trade route, a throng of people want to see him, and one of them is a little short man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, so he runs to a sycamore tree, climbs up in that sycamore tree, and everybody who grew up in Sunday school, right now what's going through your mind is For the Savior he wanted to see, right? So that's rolling through your mind. So he climbs up in the sycamore tree. He's looking to see Jesus. He so wants to see who this Jesus is. He is described as a tax collector. Not just any old tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Meaning he's in charge of the uh, town of Jericho's tax collection. And he did that in two ways. He collected taxes from the citizens of Jericho for the Roman government. So he collected taxes from the city of Jericho for the Roman government. So all the Jews hated him. He was a turncoat. But secondly, he had folks stationed, men stationed. As you came into the city, you had to pay your tax. And often as you left the city, you paid your tax again. And he would skim off the top, charge more than the Roman government ever said you had to, and uh, he was hated. Uh, Zacchaeus had three strikes against him, three reasons that anyone would say there's no hope for this guy. This is not a search and rescue mission for Jesus. Strike number one against Zacchaeus is that he was a reject. He was the town reject. He was a tax collector. He was unliked and unwanted. No one would identify themselves in a positive way with Zacchaeus unless they thought they could get something from him. Unless they thought they could benefit from all of his wealth. Who would want to be with this turncoat, this cheat? This Jew working for the Romans, Zacchaeus, he was a reject. And we may not realize it, but we count out these kinds of people. Who are they? Who are the rejects that we assume God isn't after? The front page of our local paper almost always has them there. The drug dealers, the drug users. I dare say that if you look at the front page of McDowell News on a regular basis, I I don't get the paper, but as I'm leaving, 
I see it, leaving the Y in the mornings, I see the front page headline. Almost always it is someone did something wrong to somebody. How many of us think, literally think, there's hope for that person? Not many. Not many. They're rejects to us. We don't want them to live in our neighborhoods. We don't want them to hang out with us. That's how we think. They are the rejects. There are folks in our county who are prejudiced. And in their prejudice, if anyone is any skin color other than white, they reject them. Be they black or be they brown, they don't consider them to be worthy even of a conversation. There's other kinds of rejection. You get into the super spiritual world or the super religious world and there is the thought among many of them that if you are homosexual or a lesbian, you could not possibly turn to Christ and away from your sin. And there is a complete rejection of the possibility of the salvation of someone in homosexuality or lesbianism. How could they come to Christ? How could they be rid of their sin? They think. There is a political rejection that has made its way into the church in America in large capacity. And that is, if anyone is, is of the Muslim faith, there's not a possibility of salvation for them. How could they come to Christ? How could Christ reach through all of those barriers and save someone who is Muslim? You see, without realizing it, we all have our categories, don't we? We all have these lists, and we all have these reject lists, and Zacchaeus would fit this in Jericho. He's the town cheat. He's the guy no one wants to be around. He's the reject. Who is it that you encounter on a regular basis that you don't consider worthy of your time. Was Jesus busy? He was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Just back up two paragraphs, and that's what Luke will tell you. Was he on a mission? You better believe he was. He was headed to Jerusalem to give his life that you and I and everyone who would call on him would be saved. Yet he looks up into the sycamore tree and calls out Zacchaeus. Wow. Strike number one is Zacchaeus was a reject. Strike number two against Zacchaeus is that, and this may surprise you, he was rich. He was rich. It reads about him. Luke candidly writes about Zacchaeus. Uh, it says that he was a tax collector and, verse 2, was rich. 
You'll say, well, Jerry, why is that a strike? Why would that be a strike against anyone who, who might come to Christ being rich? All you have to do is back up one chapter. And when you do, you discover a conversation between Jesus and a rich young ruler. They have this conversation, Jesus and this rich young ruler do. And as they are talking, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and wants what Jesus has to offer. And Jesus is offering him then. Uh, he says, have you kept the, you know, keep the commandments? I've done all of that. This guy says, I've been a good boy. Uh, since I've been a kid, I've kept those things. And Jesus says, okay, Here's what you need to do. Sell your goods, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. And the rich young man turns away sorrowful. Why? Because he was rich. And then Jesus looks at him, looks at them around him, and he said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Jesus doesn't say why there. There are reasons. Often rich people rely on their riches. They can buy their way out of any predicament in which they find themselves had a leadership meeting Wednesday night. We talked about this. It may catch you by surprise. Some of you fit this category. Many of you do not. That a two-person, that within five miles of this church, of this location right here, 51% of households, 51% of households earn less, both incomes, than $35,000, 51%. If you and your wife, you and your husband together earn more than $35,000, you are above 51% of the families who live within a five-mile radius of this building. If you sit in here today and you with your husband or you with your wife earn eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars, you're rich. If you look at the world standard of wealth, only the very poor in the United States are poor according to the world standards. Only the very poor. I would say this to you. If you sit here this morning and you earn six figures sometime today, and you know Christ, at some point today, you need to bow your head and thank God that somehow he was able to break through your wealth with the gospel. It's rare, Jesus says. For a rich person to enter the kingdom. Riches trip us up, deceive us, convince us that we can do what we cannot do, that we can control 
what we cannot control. That we can handle what we cannot handle. Do you know the one big equalizer to money I've discovered in my years in ministry? Poor health. Every time. You can have all the money in the world, but when your health goes and you can't buy it and you can't fix it, all of a sudden, all the resources that you have seem so futile and seem so empty and seem so little and seem so unable to do what you want them to be able to do. And so Zacchaeus has one strike. He's the town reject. He has a second strike. He's rich. He's the town reject who is rich. What does he do? Well, he runs ahead. He climbs into a sycamore tree. Interesting, a sycamore tree, we think uh, tall tree, flaky bark, but that's not what they're talking about. This is a fig tree, low tree, uh, has limbs to climb up into, but low-lying limbs so that he could grab. And the figs on this sycamore tree were used by poor people. They would climb that tree, pick those figs so that they could feed their family. I find it ironic that this rich reject is sitting in the poor man's tree. He's sitting in the poor man's tree looking for Jesus. He wants Jesus. His riches don't seem to matter. You would think on this day when swarms of people are coming with Jesus through the city of Jericho, uh, Zacchaeus would be in his office barking out orders, sending out texts, making sure everybody's covered the entrances and exits to town. They can make bank off of this day. But he isn't. He's sitting in poor man's tree looking for Jesus. And so Jesus comes and sees him, and he looks up into the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down in a hurry, because I'm going to stay at your house today. And Scripture says that Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, they say about Jesus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Before we deal with Zacchaeus' response, we need to to see the third reason that Zacchaeus should never have come to Christ and that many people, it's a barrier to their coming to Christ, Zacchaeus was religious. He was a reject, he was rich, and he was religious. Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. Uh, As a son of Abraham, that means he could trace his lineage all the way back into the Old Testament into Abraham. And that was something to write home about. I want to say something. I want you to hear me well. I want you to sit up and listen closely this morning. We have no goals at this church for how many members we ought to have. We have always left that up to the Lord. Always. I want you to hear what could be the saddest dilemma that I could face as a pastor would be for you to come to grace, join this church, serve, do the work of God, 
and never, ever trust Christ as your personal Savior. That would be tragic. It would be tragic for your religion, for your system of belief to block the Savior. That would be tragic. Churches are filled with people who are religious without a relationship with Christ. Recently, I spent time with a man who now attends here, and he said to me, we spent about an hour and a half together, he said, Jerry, in the church I left to come here, I held every position a lay person could hold in that church. But it was sitting here that I came to Christ. It is possible that you can come here, sing the songs, listen to the sermons, put money in the basket. It is possible that you can go through every motion yet not trust Christ as your personal Savior. And in the end, Christ look at you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you spend eternity apart from him in hell. It is one of the largest deterrents to anyone coming to Christ in this county. What is it? Well, my dad helped start that church. So? God has no grandchildren. Only kids. You can't ride the coattails of your daddy. You can't ride the coattails of your mom. If you are here this morning, and this is a wake-up call for you, and your heart is beating out of your chest right now because you've had this idea, oh, all I have to do, I was baptized at some point. And, and uh, well, did anything change in your life? You say, well, Jerry, how do I know? What does Zacchaeus say? It's interesting. We don't know at what point he came to Christ. Some commentators say it was when he received him joyfully. Why? Well, he, he comes down out of the tree. He receives him joyfully. Well, what does that mean? I mean, some people say, well, he didn't know this. and How could he have come to Christ if he didn't know A, B, C, and D? How in the world? Let me ask you a question. Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to come to, to God, you've got to be born again. So I want to ask you a question. When you came screaming out of your, mama, or your mama's womb, how much did you know? Nothing. You just screaming. It made no sense. You just screamed. You just cried. And when you did, we had to make sense of what you were doing. But you were born, right? When you were born again, you don't have to dot every I, cross every T. You don't have to know your theology at that point. No one does. No one has figured it out at that point. At that point, you come to Christ in often blind faith, saying, God, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing. I know I need you. I know you are the Son of God, Jesus, who died on the cross for me, who rose from the dead. I believe that I need you. 
doesn't have to be a big flowery prayer. You don't have to figure all of this stuff out. It is a matter of trust and dependence. And Zacchaeus comes climbing out of that tree and receives him joyfully. And the crowd begins to do what? You know, can you believe he's going with Zacchaeus? I mean, does he know what he did? All right. That's what went through some of your minds when you saw your neighbor walk into church this morning. They're here? Really? Does anybody know what they did? If everybody only knew what I knew about them, right? Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham. He was religious. He was religious. But he did not have a relationship with God. So what happened with Zacchaeus? He hears the grumbling in the crowd. All these people have given up on him. They have marked him off. He's not search and rescue. That's a search and recovery case. He hears the grumbling in the crowd. He turns to the crowd. He looks at them, and he says these words, and you missed it when Bill read it. Guarantee you. He said to Jesus, Lord. He did. Go back and look. He said, Lord. What does that word mean? Well, just to put it in good old-fashioned terms, it means boss. Boss. Curios in the Greek. Boss. Master. He said, Lord, half of all my possessions I give to the poor. Here's how you know you've come from darkness into light, from death into life. When your life changes When there is a change in you, this unexplainable change in you, God has done a work in you. You are born again, and you will think differently, act differently. You'll talk differently. You'll spend your money differently. You'll spend your time differently. That's when you know. Please hear me. If nothing has changed in your life, Christ doesn't live in your heart. He changed Immediately, he said, half of all my possessions I give to the poor. Now, Zacchaeus knows the law. We know that clearly by his next statement. But, but the law required a cheat like this to go 20%, not 50. Would you pause for a moment and wonder what happened in Jericho among poor people that moment? One of the richest guys in town takes his bank account, sets up a foundation, and he's going to give it all to the poor. 50% put in that account will feed people. No more sycamore tree eating people in Jericho. Let's give them some good food to eat. Wow. And then he said, And if I have defrauded anyone, I'll pay him back four times the amount. All of a sudden, I want to be cheated by Zacchaeus, right? I'm like, put me in that line. Four times? You're going to pay it back four times, Zacchaeus? He's saying, I will pay it. That's repentance. That's life change. That's somebody whose life has been radically changed and saying, hey, I'm a new man. I'm a different person. I want to show this to the world. And the life begins to turn. That's proof of a changed life. 
Has he changed you? Have you ever been born again? Have you ever once trusted Christ to forgive you of your sins and make you into a new girl, into a new boy, into a new man, into a new woman? Have you been born again, teenager, college student, single person, senior adult, church member? Have you been born again? On Monday, Wendy and I trekked to Greenville Spartanburg Airport and we took Hannah. And Hannah left to be gone to Ecuador for a month. And that wasn't easy. Some tears were shed. A friend of ours from ours from Greenville met us at the airport and she said, Let's go to lunch. And so Wendy and I were planning just to turn around and come back home, but we went to lunch with Bonnie. We went one exit down to California Dreaming, good place to eat. We sit down to eat at California Dreaming, and when we do, our waiter comes up, super nice kid, 20, uh, looks to be 20, 21 years old, turns out to be. We discover his age, he's around 21, uh, but he comes, takes our order, that kind of thing. And when he brings our food, uh, I did what sometimes I often do, just to engage in a spiritual conversation with somebody. I said, we're going to pray is there anything we could pray for you about? And he said, his eyes got huge, and he said, could I sit down? And we said, sure. And so he sat down beside Bonnie across from Wendy and me. He said, I must tell you something. A week ago yesterday, I went to church for the first time in a long time, and God saved me. He said, he changed my life. There is a fire burning right here that's out of control. He said, I don't know what to do about it. All I can tell you is that I am a different person than I was a week ago. And he said to think that God would send you here and he would put you in my section and that you would look at me and say, is there anything you could pray for me about just warms my heart. God is looking out for me, isn't he? I said, he sure is. I said, what is your name? He said, my name is JB. I said, what is your last name? This will surprise you, JB. Sounds like a good old boy name, right? Barchetto. All right, his name is JB Barchetto. He was Hispanic. And as we began to talk, he just overflowed with his joy. He said, oh, they've seated a table. I got to get up and go. So he gets up and goes, and we pray for JB. We're eating, and he comes, and he says, I know you have much to talk about. Could I sit down? <laughs> and so he sits down again, and J.B.'s sitting over there by Bonnie, and he said, uh, oh, yesterday was a tough service for me. I went to church yesterday, and the pastor got up to preach. And when he got up to preach, he preached about moms. And he preached about that time when Jesus uh, got lost from his mommy and daddy. He said, uh, he said he preached about that time, and he said, I realized all the pain I have caused my mother. 
He said, you see, when I was 17, I turned away from everything that she and my dad taught me. And I went into drugs and I went into alcohol and I did awful things that I caused her so much pain. And he said, I sat there in worship and tears flowed down my face as I realized the pain I put my mom through. He said, so I went home after church and I found mom and I said, listen, mom, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for all the years and all that I've done to you. Mom, I'm so sorry for all the pain that I've caused you and all the trouble that I've brought to your life. And he said, my mom said it was the best Mother's Day she had ever had with that big smile, those big eyes as JB was just thrilled. What was he doing? He was looking at the crowd and saying, half of my possessions I give to the poor. That's called repentance. When Christ moves in, sin moves out. When Christ moves in, new life moves in. When Christ comes in, your life will change. Amen? You cannot have somebody as big as Jesus Christ come to live in you and stay the same. It won't happen that way. J.B. was a changed man. How cool it was to watch JB. I said, JB, it so happens that my blog today is on that very incident in the life of Jesus. Oh, you have a blog? Bonnie said, he's, Bonnie, my friend said, he's a pastor. He said, oh, you're a pastor. <laughs> yeah, big city. No, I didn't, didn't do all that. I said, yeah, I have a blog. He said, oh, I must go read it. He said, now my friend who took me to church, what? Somebody didn't give up on JB. He said, my friend who took me to church last Sunday when I got saved, I went home and his mom said, why don't you read the Gospel of John? He said, I've already finished that. It's a big book, this Bible. He said, so I started at Genesis and it's so good. I read it all the time. He said, people here at work wonder what's happened to me. (laughs) Yeah, JB. So we exchanged information, gave him my blog. You may, if you read my blog, I talked about him in it this week. Gave him my blog. So he sent me a text. So honored that you would mention me in your blog. (laughs) That's what he said. And he said, you'll never believe it. He said, but my dad, he's seen the change in me, so he helped me buy a car. Now, this is hilarious. We told him that Hannah was in Ecuador, our daughter, uh, doing mission work, which he thought was amazing. JB lives in Traveler's Rest, which is the same place where Hannah goes to college at North Greenville. And he said, uh, and we've decided when we go pick Hannah up at the airport, we'll go there. We're going to sit in his section and just talk to JB again. But at any rate, he sends a text and he said, my dad is seeing the change in me. He helped me buy a car. And he said, this is hilarious. He said, you know how people name their cars? He said, so I looked at the front of the car. It had a big H on it. And I thought, why not? I named her Hannah. (laughs) What? I'm texting him, what? So now Hannah has a car named after her. Most people call them Hondas. JB calls it Hannah. Right? just overflowing overflowing who's your JB who's your JB who is it 
You walked in here discouraged, didn't you? You had given up on JB, hadn't you? Who's your JB? And then listen to me and look at me. If you're a JB in the room, God hasn't given up on you. He loves you. He loves you enough for you to hear one more time. You may be the county reject. You may be rich. You may be religious. But you are just right for Christ. Just right for him. Would you bow your heads? With every head bowed, all the eyes are closed. This is not a trick, nothing. This is an opportunity for you to receive Christ as your Savior right now. Most important part of the service is happening right now. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If you say, Jerry, I walked in here like J.B., I had given up on God like John Newton and I assumed he had given up on me. But today, I've heard the message. Today, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Would you just slip up your hand right now so that I could see that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. You say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior today.